everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm Diana Chen, and I'm here with your host, John Abrams. Hey, John, how's it going? It's going well. It's fun to be doing another season of shows with you. And uh, we always have uh, so much fun digging into these topics. And I, I will tell you, maybe no listener to our podcast says, oh, they clearly researched their topics and they are, you know, they're working through 52 bullet points to convey a really well thought out, uh, well articulated program. No, that's not how we do it at all. You do more research than I do. But like, for me, this is just, it's like free space to talk about all the cool things uh, that go on in the world of supply chain that I think are cool that really so little of the populace thinks is cool. Pre-COVID, now that COVID is here, I want to know where my vaccine is. I want to know where the toilet paper is. So uh, COVID has changed the world of supply chain, at least how people are exposed to it. And so uh, I just get a such a kick out of uh, doing this these with you because I don't know where they're going to go necessarily in every episode, but it's really fun to meander through this uh, space with you. Yeah, it's funny you say that, John, because I feel like I've almost become more of a supply chain nerd than you have <laughs> since the inception of this podcast, where I come on and I'm like, we're going to have another great conversation about supply chain. And you're still sort of in that, you know, the the more uh, popular mindset of supply chain is boring. We'll see how this conversation goes. You're like, oh, that was actually pretty fun. And I'm like, John, every conversation's pretty fun. You should know this by now. <laughs> yeah, no, I you got to you got to understand I've. I've been 25 years in the guts of the stuff like, you know, uh, the most fun is, uh, well, I mean, heck, I, I, you know, my first, you don't know this, let me just tell you, like my first real appreciation for supply chain, I was working nights at Chicago Tribune, I'm trained as a journalist, so I have a very naturally curious mind. And one of the things about wandering the production facility at Chicago Tribune back in the day when newspapers were powerful was you had these systems, trays uh, that would move the raw materials of newspapering around. And, and it's everything from the newsprint that came in, you know, via, uh, you know, all different means into the warehouse facility or just moving Tribune at the time I was there, it would do a million copies and it was zoned 12 different ways throughout the Chicago area. And the system uh, was highly elaborate uh, and it was called the Traumatic System. And it would move the paper, the newspaper and the ad materials that went into the newspaper physically around this massive facility. And so my exposure initially as a you know young fresh out uh, of college was to see the physical manifestation of a product and how it goes from a raw material and you know ink on the paper and into this machine that moves it around a massive facility and gets it to a truck. And I used to ride these trucks at night. I won't get into that, but uh, you know people were happy to expose me to all parts of the business. So I go ride the truck and see where this raw material actually got delivered to somebody's door on the 14th floor of a high rise. And, and to me, watching that whole process from creating a story or a piece of advertising and putting it onto 
you know, a, a plate that goes onto a press that goes onto paper that gets delivered. That sort of supply chain is fascinating to me. And so, yeah, I, I think that the world thinks supply chain is boring, but without it, you, we don't have anything. We don't have food. We don't have products. We don't have toilet paper. Um, so it, to me, it's fascinating, but I'm always, I, I love the fact that you get entertained by this, that, you know, we have listeners that write about this stuff and say, Hey, thanks for sharing the thoughts. Uh, so yeah, I am, I am unaware that this has interest to anybody other than me. So I, I appreciate your enthusiasm. Of course. And I, th I think one of the benefits of our sort of off the cuff conversational style is that it does get people involved and it does bring in people, you know, versus like a 52 bullet pointed uh, thesis <laughs> on the supply chain that might only appeal to very few uh, specialists in the field. Yeah, so very true. Yeah. Well, today, John, I want to continue our conversation on sustainability in the supply chain from last time. Uh, last time we talked a little bit about just an overview of sustainability and some of the more obvious ways that people can be more sustainable in the supply chain, like reducing fuel costs, using solar panels, uh, using greener materials, things like this. But at the end of the episode, you brought up an interesting point, which is some of the more indirect ways that the environment can be impacted in the supply chain. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit more about that. And I think the direction we were getting into with that is um, an error and waste. And so the example you had brought up was, well, if you, you know, if you buy a shoe and you return that shoe because it's not the wrong right size or for whatever reason, you in, indirectly affect the environment by going through that return process, which could have easily been prevented had the company just posted the correct shoe information so that you would have bought the right shoe. So maybe a good place to start would just be, let's continue off of that and talk about some of the most common ways that the supply chain can create error and waste. Yeah. And let's, uh, let me start with the, uh, the, the waste piece of it as it, as it intersects with sustainability. So one of the, one of the things when I was uh, on the corporate side of, of supply chains was that every once in a while, be it a shareholder meeting or or something, there would be a group of people that would be pointing out, hey, nasty, evil, big corporation, you are fouling up the, the world with your less than sustainable uh, uh, approaches. Uh, you know, so you're uh, you're supporting a global supply chain, and because of that, there's fuel cost and there's carbon emissions and there's all these bad things. And yes, you know, can the supply chain be improved from a use more efficient vehicles, use less CO2 emitting things, do a better job at, at uh, warehousing so that it doesn't negatively impact the environment? Yeah, true. 100%. The other part, though, that gets missed in that big corporations are bad is that at the end of the day, the big corporation exists to feed products to consumers. And what I've noticed over time is that consumers seem to want to point to the big corporation and say, you are inefficient and you are not eco-friendly and therefore you are bad, as opposed to 
almost no consumer that I'm aware of feels bad about putting the errant product in a box and walking it over to the uh, the mail slot or or UPS or whatever. And the inefficiency of shipping that non-optimized product back to a manufacturer who ultimately is just going to destroy it. And so it's sort of interesting. I think one of the things sustainability should talk more about is, hey, consumers, as a collective, you are a tremendous source of waste and inefficiency, and you are creating an unoptimized reverse supply chain, meaning from the consumer back to wherever it's going, the retailer or the manufacturer in an op- unoptimized fashion. So when a product's coming from the manufacturer to the consumer, somebody has thought about how do we put that on a pallet in the most efficient way? How do we put it in the most efficient vehicle uh, to move it to the next point in the chain as opposed to consumers who have no qualms about dropping it off at the UPS store and saying, hey, good luck getting that back. Uh, not optimized, it's taken up more space, there's more uh, air that's being shipped in a in a vehicle than when it's coming in an optimized fashion from the manufacturer. So I think consumers really have to recognize that they have a part in the sustainability uh, uh, impact or the lack of sustainability that that they are facilitating. One of the things that I saw a lot of in the media over the holidays, so we're in January, so just to finish the holiday season for Uh, 2020 into 2021. One of the things was that there's this been this massive uptake in consumers ordering multiple sizes of a a garment or a shoe or whatever. So the the way the media was framing that is what a clever thing. Consumers taking advantage of low cost or no cost return policies to order a shirt in three different sizes. So uh, small, medium, and large, and then we'll see which one fits, and we'll turn, you know, they, we're calling it the Goldilocks effect. We'll return the ones that don't fit, but I'll keep the one that that is just right. And the impact of that is massive, because for the most part, the garment's going to be wasted, meaning it's going going to be destroyed. It, it's rarely resold. Not that it isn't resold or recycled. Sometimes they are, but for the most part, that product is going unoptimized through a shipping facility back to the manufacturer that's ultimately going to destroy it. So the cost of the good is wasted, meaning uh, you know nobody's making a profit on that. The vehicle emissions, that whole return path are wasted because you're conveying a physical product in an unoptimized way all the way back to the manufacturer. And so... Uh, just the raw materials cost, all of that. It's just, it almost, I, I, I don't mean to sound silly here, but that almost makes me cry that a garment that's ordered in three sizes, two of which are going to be returned. Oh my God, that somebody worked on that. Somebody somebody put effort into putting it in the package and, and combining the raw materials in a way that produce a garment. And just so you can waste two of them? Oh my God. What? Why? So look, the people that come and protest a large company and say, you're not running electric vehicles uh, as part of your supply chain, and therefore you're creating an unsustainable uh, uh, you know, environmental impact on the world. 
yep, fair, true. But let's also turn that mirror on us as consumers and the Goldilocks effect is just, I, I mean, it saddens me. It just breaks my heart. It's just such a wasteful, arrogant approach to, to goods. You know, error, the other point that you were making is also a part of that. Uh, why are consumers uh, embracing the Goldilocks effect? A couple of things. They're not having to pay the cost of the return freight anyway. And so they're empowered to order a size up and a size down and find the right one. But part of that is we've learned that the item that shows up is almost never the item described. And I, what I mean by that is, uh, well, interestingly enough, a box showed up today. And as I was opening it up, the box looked like it contained something much, much smaller than what I thought I ordered. And part of that is the imagery, while it may have been accurate from a photographic perspective, I had no way to visualize it, meaning there was no, there wasn't a hand in the photo holding the, the object. So I couldn't, I, I couldn't grasp, uh, you know, in a realistic fashion, it, it's a candle. So just to take the, you know, imagination out of this, it wasn't like, you know, uh, something uh, I, well, I won't guess at imagination, but it was a candle. And it's way smaller. And why is it way smaller? Because there was nothing in any of the photography that would have indicated the size of that candle. So I had no way, even if the product description and the measurements were all right, I didn't have a way to visualize that in my head. And so I ordered it. I'm not returning the candle. The candle's lovely. It smells nice. We're keeping the candle. But it's, it's a little bit of an affront to what I was expecting, and that sort of bothers me. And that happens all the time. And if it were something more important than a candle, I would have returned it, and I would have created this, uh, you know, sustainability was the theme here. I would have created this waste in the system based on my inability to comprehend the correct sizing of that that item. And so uh, sustainability is a fun topic. Hey, always happy to talk about electric vehicles in the supply chain. And that would create all this energy uh, uh, savings. And, and so we would have less CO2 in the atmosphere. Great. Awesome. Wonderful. But if we're going to have a discussion about sustainability, I would like that we start talking about our, as consumers, responsibility to not create waste in the supply chain. By the way, retailers and manufacturers have a, a piece of this too. Retailers and manufacturers have to do a better job at conveying accurate information that we can fit into our consumer heads so that we're not getting uh, either wrong because there's a lot of just plain wrong information in product descriptions and, and measurements. But the other is that we have to find better ways to create the, uh, the engagement with that product in a way that we can, in our head, visualize it. And, and we don't do, on the retail and manufacturing side, a really good job at creating the accurate marketing or product support information that conveys what that product is and that creates dissatisfaction with consumers, some of that dissatisfaction goes immediately to, I am dissatisfied, therefore I'm returning this. 
And that return, if we could take those returns, if we could take that reverse supply chain out, we would have a much more dramatic effect on sustainability than just by adding, and again, always good to have electric vehicles in the supply chain, but uh, that, so I'm not saying don't, don't try and optimize or reduce the carbon emissions, but as consumers, we need to realize that as a collective, we're creating tremendous uh, non-sustainable environmental impact that we as consumers need to own. Yeah, John, I don't know if any of our listeners are feeling the guilt trip as much as I am, but uh, I feel like I just, I, I think it's ironic that we started this episode talking about how much fun we have on this podcast. And I feel like I just got lectured for being a bad person. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't know what your habits are, but we all have a piece of this. All right. I don't do this so much anymore, but I definitely used to be one of those people who would buy multiple sizes of the same shirt online and just return whatever, you know, didn't end up fitting. And it got to the point where it's like, it's not just me. It was all my friends who got to the point where we knew exactly which brands or which websites you could order from that had free shipping and free returns, Nordstrom being a big one. Um, and that's what we would target. But, uh, since then I've sort of just, I've, I, I'm not a big shopper. I actually quite dislike shopping. And so I just buy the same clothes over and over again of the same brand. So I know the sizes, but I think part of that problem is that sizing varies so much from brand to brand. And I don't know if you have a solution for that, but like I can buy a shirt, like I know my range of sizes, but if I'm going to buy something like a dress or like something that really needs to fit you know, very well, it's, you have to be very precise with the sizing and you're just, I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking, even if the brand conveyed all of their measurements and information accurately, it still might not be what the consumer thinks it is. It, it may not, but I do think that that is a challenge for people in the world of marketing to figure out. So I've noticed that Warby Parker, which makes, um, uh, uh, eyeglasses or frames uh, uh, is really working hard to create ways that without shipping a product, the consumer can get an accurate understanding of what those eyeglasses are all about. And there are clever companies that are working really hard. Is that a big deal? Is it a size issue? Well, no, maybe, I don't know. It's a, but I will tell you this, it's a hundred percent of marketing mismatch, meaning it, it was intentionally framed at the sales side to seem different than it was. And so that, while it may make it look more appealing because you're getting more candle wax or whatever, it ultimately creates a disconnect at the point of uh, consumption. And so I think it's really more of a marketing challenge to how do we convey the accurate representation, the sizing, the, you know, whatever that, 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 you know, gap in touching the physical product, whatever that gap is, how do we close that? And that's clever marketing people can and will solve for that. And those that do, you know, you, you very quickly said, well, I, I, I know, and it's, it's left an impact on you. As soon as you find those brands or those retailers that are doing a good job conveying to you accuracy and reliability, you build a bond. 
And so it is in not, it is not the candle company's best interest to convey something to me digitally that miss is a mismatch physically. And that applies to shirts and shoes and many different products. And, and it is a marketing problem to solve so that at the end of the day, nobody wants to really order three different sizes of a shirt. It's just we've learned in a very short period of time as digital retailers taken hold. So, you know, less than 30 years, we as a society have learned these clever ways to use this uh, digital and physical environment in order to get what we want. So we as consumers, we will get what we want. That's how it works. But it's creating a, back to your core point, it's creating a disadvantage on the sustainability side that we have to figure out. And that's not a, the shipper doesn't have to figure that out. The marketing people responsible for that product have to figure it out and it has to be done on a broader scale and more quickly than what we're uh, currently experiencing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think as a society, we've also shifted from a mentality of just pushing sales to a mentality of giving, actually being able to help people and give people a benefit. And I think technology is a great way that we're able to you know, make the supply chain more efficient and more effective with things like Warby Parker, like you mentioned, the like virtual glasses try on, or I know like, um, I think I want to say Ikea maybe has like the, the app where you can place the furniture in your living room to see what it would look like before buying things like that. Um, so I think we're definitely moving in the right direction and I know we have to wrap here, but just to finish on kind of a funny story, uh, similar to your candle story, but that, you know, actually mattered, I think a little bit more. My mom decided to get us a Papa shot basketball thing like that you see in arcades for Christmas. Okay. And so she finds this off Amazon and she's like, oh yeah, it's like a, it's, it's foldable. So like what she had envisioned was you just open it, it's in this big box and then you sort of just like unfold it and there it is standing up. And uh, she was like, yeah, it's, it's convenient. It's easy. It's, you know, small for your condo. If you want to move in the future, you just fold it up and take it with you. We get it. It's this gigantic thing. It literally takes up our entire second bedroom. Okay, so our entire second bedroom is now Papa Shot basketball. Yeah, I you know if not for COVID, I'd come over. That sounds like really fun. It. I, I mean, so. all all of my sixteen year old dreams have come true. <laughs> that that I I will credit my mom and Amazon for. But from a practical standpoint, um, no one is coming over to visit. You know, even in a post COVID world, no one's coming over to visit. <laughs> second bedroom no longer has a bed in it. It has a Papa Shot in it. So unless you Love just want to play basketball day and night, um, that's that's all you can do. But and it doesn't fold. It took us like over six hours to set it up. I, I, uh, <laughs> you know, the investment of time and energy in that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's impressive. I, I, but I, again, you know, perfectly underscoring the, uh, as consumers, we, we don't have a way to interface properly, uh, uh with, with product. And, and that is, uh, I'm sure the dimensions were all there uh, that, you know, it sounds like uh, I, I haven't, I haven't bought something like that, but I'm, I'm sure the dimensions were there. It's just, we don't have a way to conceptualize it. And, and there are better ways other than saying, here are the 15 dimensions of this object. Great. I, I don't know what height means, 
to you, Mr. Manufacturer. So finding a better way to convey that, it can be done. In some cases, it is being done. It needs to be more widespread. And if we get that figured out, it creates a better bond to consumers. It, as you suggest, it creates trust. And to your point uh, for this episode on sustainability, it reduces waste in the supply chain and that's a net good for the globe. For sure. And uh, I just have to end with this, having confessed my you know horrible practices in the supply chain for the environment in the past with ordering multiple things and returning everything. I just have to give myself a pat on the back for not returning the Papa shot. There you go. This could have easily ended up in a return, but nope, we're keeping it. We are dedicating our entire second bedroom to this, to basketball. That's, yes. that's where we live now. <laughs> well, I'm impressed. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, John, for another fun episode. As always, I will endeavor to be a better consumer and a better person for the environment. And hopefully some of our listeners will as well. Uh, thanks listeners for tuning in. We will be back again soon with another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Supply Chain podcast. It's brought to you by Venzi, intelligent product content distribution for enterprise commerce. Learn more and say hello to us at venzi.com. That's V-E-N-Z-E-E.com.